The following is provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and available at itunes.covenant.edu. Good morning. It's good to be back on campus. Some of you may not even known that I was away for two weeks. Some of you may have preferred the fact that I was away for two weeks. But in any case, I'm glad to be back. Uh, the Lord was really gracious in providing some great teaching opportunities for me while I was in uh, Northern Ireland and then doing some uh, pastor's conference in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, but it's good to be back. It's good to be back here with, with each of you. Well, and I'm back just in time because this week we begin our annual conference on marriage, family, and community. And I'm delighted to be able to say that Dr. Paul Tripp will be our speaker for those coming for the next three days. I want to let you know we've got a little bit of a different structure uh, to this uh, conference than we normally have. We will have chapel today, obviously. We'll have chapel tomorrow in the same time slot, and then we'll have chapel on Wednesday. Dr. Tripp will be speaking in each of those occasions. But tonight and on Tuesday night, we'll have an evening session, but that evening session is going to be held at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. That session will be from 7 to 8.30. There will be a time of refreshments. Dr. Tripp will be speaking. There will be time for Q&A afterwards. Uh, that will be o that's open to all of you, and there will be chapel credit given. There will also be some shuttle rides. If, you're, if you, you would like to go but can't get a ride, there will be shuttle rides. You need to be in the Carter Circle at 6.30 to catch the ride over to Lookout Mountain Prez. So I'm very excited about this. And the main reason I'm excited about this is because of our speaker. Paul Tripp um, has been a pastor, a church planter. He has started a Christian school. He has served as a counselor for 25 years. Recently, he's actually returned from full-time counseling to pastoral ministry to spearhead 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia to spearhead their new outreach to Center City. So he replaced me and is now making that ministry effective. And uh, so I'm glad to be able to report that. But even more so, uh, Paul Tripp, in, that doesn't uh, even begin to touch the, the multiple speaking engagements he's done around the world, the books that he's written. But the, the real reason I'm excited to bring Dr. Tripp here to speak is that this is a man who gets the gospel and he gets the implications of the gospel on our lives here and now. Uh, in addition to enjoying sitting under his teaching personally and benefiting from his friendship, I can also say that when Nancy and I had some troubles and difficulties in our own marriage, and even those things can happen even to pastors. Uh, Paul and his wife Luella were the couple that we sought out and sat down and had coffee with and listened while they spoke the gospel to us and applied that to our lives. So I've benefited from his ministry, not only from a distance, listening to him teach to large groups, but sitting over coffee and letting him apply the gospel to my own life, applying it to my marriage. And so I have a tremendous amount of respect for this man, and I know that you're going to be richly blessed by him as he speaks to us these coming days, Dr. Paul Tripp. Well, it's, it's uh, great to be with you, and my assignment is to talk about the principal relationships of life from the vantage point of the gospel. I would like you just to reflect on this 
this fact. I think this is a stunning fact. Here it is. You have never, nor will you ever have, this side of eternity, a relationship that won't disappoint you in some way. You're thinking, my, that was encouraging. Um, it is, it is an, amazing, an amazing fact. Why, why are relationships so difficult? If you're thinking about marriage in your future or if you're married already, you will recognize that no one ever gets their marriage dream. You think you found that person who will complete the puzzle of your dream? And you get married, and that dream has a shelf life of maybe a couple hours. <laughs> You're fighting on the way to the hotel. Uh, now, now, maybe that's, that part of that is the creepiness of Western culture dating. Can I talk about this for a moment? <laughs> well, why am I asking? I'm going to. Uh, Western culture dating is just a step above used car sales. Because the last thing you actually want is for the person to get to know you. Because you're trying to sell yourself to the person. So a man who doesn't like to shop will shop. He'll say, yes, sir, I'd love to go to another 12 stores and look for those shoes that are in your mind that have probably never ever been produced. Uh, a woman who doesn't like sports will watch sports because she's trying to win this guy. Now she'll give it away in the middle of a very important game. She'll say, my, aren't their uniforms cute? A man would never say that. And if a man thought that, he'd be terrified. <laughs> and, then, and then, six months into marriage, this woman is crying, this is not the man I married. This is the man you married. The man you dated was a fake. That's relationships. Uh, we, we all struggle with our relationships. You have not ever had a relationship in your life that hasn't disappointed you in some way. Now you have to ask the question, why? What makes those relationships so difficult? Why do we struggle? Why do we all face disappointment? And the tempting thing to do is to locate the answer to that question somewhere outside of yourself. You say, well, have you met my roommate? It makes sense why we struggle. Can I talk about my mom and dad? Or have you met any of my professors? Uh, <laughs> I can say that because I get to leave. Uh, it's very easy to look outside of yourself and say the struggle of relationship exists somewhere outside of me. And that sounds plausible because you do live in a broken world and you do live around flawed people. Now I want to say something to you that I think is very, very important for you to realize. Here it is. No one's more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You are in a constant diagnostic conversation with yourself. You are always thinking about life, even if you don't show it. Uh, you're always analyzing why the things in your world take place in the way that they do. And, 
And that internal conversation is profoundly important in shaping the way you think about, react to, respond, speak into the disappointments of life. You have diagnosed those disappointments somehow. You have reached fundamental personal conclusions, and those conclusions shape the way you think about the relational struggle that everyone in this room has. Now here's what I love about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I adore about Scripture. Is that in in the Bible, in the gospel, we have at once the world's best diagnostic and the world's best cure. The Bible in ways, is the most honest book on earth. God doesn't pull any punches. He really does show us the harsh realities of life in a fallen world. At the same time, the Bible is the most hopeful book ever. And the honesty doesn't diminish the hope, and the hope doesn't negate the honesty. And so I would like to look with you just this morning briefly at one passage of scripture that has both in it that, that diagnostic and that cure. Turn in your Bibles there that are in front of you or if you brought one with you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5 says something about us and our relationships that is profound, but it's possible to miss it. I just want to read two verses in the middle of this defense that Paul is making of his ministry, verses 14 and 15. Hear this. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I'm deeply persuaded that there's a phrase in the middle of what I just read that if you don't understand it, if you don't understand its deep and expansive implications, you cannot understand your relationships. And you will live in in disappointment and fear and uh, avoidance and denial and all kinds of things because you're in the middle of things that the Bible explains to you, but you don't get them. And all the things that you try to correct relationships, all the things you try to say to to yourself, don't bring you to a point where you're able to reach a new place in your relationships. We had this amazing moment in our car uh, once going on a long family road trip. If you want to understand the human condition, load a family in a car and keep them there for several hours. (laughs) My, My son Ethan in those days, our kids are all grown now, but my son Ethan in those days, for reasons we weren't able to medically explain, wheezed when he breathed. It was really very irritating. (laughs) We always knew where he was. (laughs) 
if you would say, Ethan, come here, you would know that he was obeying by how close the wheeze was to you. We're riding along in the car, and my, my daughter, Nicole, says, Daddy, Ethan is bothering me. Being the wise sage that I am, I asked the question, what's he doing? This is great. Her answer, without hesitation, without fear of the implications of what she was going to say next, she said, he's breathing. <laughs> oh, I'm not done yet. I said, okay, what do you want me to do? And without a moment's thought, she said, tell him to stop. <laughs> My brother is respirating and would help me if he would quit it. <laughs> now, embedded in 2 Corinthians 5 is an explanation of why a human being could possibly come to the plate, that kind of place. There's a way in which that's a hermeneutic moment. That little moment in the family interprets a huge and big struggle for all of us. Look at your Bibles again. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died, now this is a purpose statement, that those who live, get this, should no longer live for themselves. That's what sin does to all of us. Sin curves me in on myself. Sin makes me shrink my life down to the size of my life. I was meant to live in the expansive glories of the kingdom of God. I was meant to live for something amazingly bigger than myself. I was lived to get up with a motivation and, and joy and purposes and hopes that were expansively bigger than anything my life could ever contain. But what sin does is it causes me to shrink my life down to the claustrophobic confines of my own little self-defined world. Listen. I got some bad news for you. But it's bad news you need to accept because you'll never, you'll never get the good news unless you accept the bad news first. Here it is. Your biggest, lasting, most profound problem in relationships is you. It's you. Think about this. How much of the anger and irritation and impatience that you experience in your relationships has anything to do with the kingdom of God? How seldom am I actually angry at the breaking of God's laws? You know what I'm angry at? The breaking of my law. Now you see that in, in, in the youngest of ages. You see a little, a little infant who, who is not yet able to speak words. But you see that, that amazing 
self-focus. You know, the, the child has cried at night and mom or dad has gone in and changed him and fed him and, and sung every song they know. The child is finally uh, asleep. And you start to walk out of the room and that baby pushes himself up on his arms. He's not able to say words yet. He stiffens his body like this. You know what he's saying? Oh, no, you don't. I love you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. It's an amazing thing. It is that, that self-focus is so deep and, and controlling, it's hard for us even to be served. You ever experienced that? I have an eye condition. And it uh, makes it real hard for me to drive at night because the, my eyes don't shift well between the light and the darkness. And cars start coming toward me, my vision begins to blur. Now, I told my wife that's okay because I've done this enough. I've learned that there's mobile blobs and stationary blobs. And the idea when you're driving is to avoid them both. Well, Luella's well, not very, very uh, satisfied with that. So she, she is, has volunteered to drive. She's serving me in that way. She doesn't mind doing that. And so we head out one night on an uh, agreed-upon destination, and we get to a corner. Now, she's serving Mary, me where I would have turned. Luella goes straight. I can't leave that alone. I say to her, why didn't you turn? She says, because this is the way that I go. I said, I think it's the wrong way. She says, I don't think it's a matter of right and wrong. I just think it's a preference. I can't leave that alone. I say, what if my preference is right? <laughs> you know, Luella, the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. She says, that's why I didn't turn. She says, Paul, let's make a deal. Uh, when, when I drive, I'll choose the way. When you drive, you choose the way. Now, that's logical, right? I can't leave that alone. <laughs> so I say, if we were in a helicopter right now, are you hearing this? <laughs> and we could swoop over this spot in Philadelphia, you would know that my way is the right way. My wife looks at me very seriously and says, Paul Tripp, I don't think a helicopter is what you need right now. <laughs> you see, what happens is uh, sin causes the greatest need in my life to be my need, the greatest desire in my life to be my desire, the greatest offense to be offenses against me. To have my world controlled by my wants and my needs and my feelings. To shrink my world down to the size of what I want and what I feel and what I say I need. Listen, that's not just in the way of spirituality. That is a denial of your very humanity. Because there's one place a human being was never created to live. That's the center of your world.
Because that's a place for God and God alone. Sin really does cause us to shrink our lives down to the size of our lives, to be incredibly self-oriented and self-focused, to want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, where we want it, and who we want to deliver it to us. Let me, let me give you some characteristics of these, the self-focus real quick. If you're living in this self-focused way, your life will be all about the here and now. Self-focused people don't like to wait. It's, it's a focus on, on here and now, and, and the struggles of this day are way too engaging, way too captivating by me. Your focus will be on, obviously, me and mine. High on my priority list are my dreams, my wants, my plans. Your focus will be on um, material, the material and the physical. Because the material world provides you a very quick uh, path to temporary fulfillment. It will be on entitlements and positions. You'll be very orient, oriented to what your rights are and, and what your, your position is. And then, what I've already mentioned, there'll be a focus on wants and needs. Here and now, me and mine, wants and needs, material and the physical, rights and positions. Now you see, when you, have, when you have two people who in ways they don't understand are really in a relationship with one another in pursuit of the interest of their own little claustrophobic kingdoms of one, there will be no end to the conflict and difficulty in that relationship. It's only when those people are liberated to serve a kingdom that's bigger and better that they will ever be able to experience the kind of unity and understanding and love that God has called us to in our relationships. Look back at this passage with me. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. I wish I could say that I have no regret for any of the things I've ever said and done with my children, but I can't say that. There are actions that I wish I could remove from history. There are words that I wish I would have never said. And when I got angry and irritated, it was not in zeal for God's kingdom. It was zeal for my kingdom. There was something that I wanted, something that I thought I needed. 
something that I felt, and rather than looking at my child as an object of my love and affection, I would begin to look at them as an obstacle in the way of what I wanted. I wish I could say with my dear wife that I have no regret over the things that I've said and done, but I can't say that. There have been words of irritation and actions of impatience and angry communication, again, not because Luella was violating the laws of God's kingdom, but she got in the way of the laws of my kingdom. Now here's, here's what this comes down to. Oh, please hear this. Because I believe that I'm describing a problem of 10 out of 10 people in this room. That means that the thing that you and I need to be rescued from, are you ready for this, is us. And that's exactly what this passage says Christ was doing on the cross. Jesus died so that those who live would no longer live for themselves. Jesus didn't give you his grace to make your kingdom work. Jesus gave you his grace to invite you to a much, much better kingdom. Jesus was willing to suffer and die so that you could be freed from your bondage to you so that the cares of your heart would expand to the size of the kingdom of God, so the love of your heart would expand to the size of the kingdom of God, so the zeal of your heart would expand to the size of the kingdom of God, so the motivation of your heart would expand to the kingdom of God, so the mercy of your heart would expand to the size of the kingdom of God, so the justice of your heart would expand to the kingdom of God. And he will not be satisfied until every one of his children is liberated from the bondage to their own kingdom and know the joy of serving the expansive, fulfilling glories of the kingdom of God. See, here's the ticket. My problem in my relationships is not that I don't love people enough. My problem is I don't love God enough. I want to put myself in his position. I want to be my own sovereign. I want to be the writer of my own story. I want to set my own laws. I want to be in charge of my relationships. I want to rule me for the sake of me. And I was given life. And I was given breath. I was given humanity in order to live for the sake of another.
Jesus came to give you back your humanity. Jesus came to liberate you and me from us. So that we would know the deep and fulfilling joys of living for something vastly bigger than us. Why have I struggled with my family? Why have I struggled with my friendships? Well, I like to say that the struggle was always righteous. But I would have to say, I struggled with my family. I struggled with my friendships. Not because they were sinners, but because in their sin, they got in the way of what I wanted. And for that, and for that, I need rescue. And rescue has come. Rescue is found in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear me say this today. That means all of us need to run toward the grace of that rescue. It would be appropriate for everybody in this room to say this today. Oh Lord, there are times when I get it right. There are times when I do respond in ways that are loving and kind. When I, when I see life in bigger dimension than just my wants and my needs and my feelings. But oh dear Lord, there are so many times when I get it wrong. I can be so judgmental. I can be so prickly. I can be so impatient. I can be so irritable. I can be so fickle in my commitments. I can reduce people to either vehicles of what I want or obstructions in the way of what I want. And so, Lord, I come to you once more today and say, by your grace, won't you rescue me from me? Won't you put a love in my heart that's vastly bigger than what now exists? Why won't you put purposes in my heart that are vastly bigger than what now exists? Won't you once more, by your grace, come near to me and rescue me? I've committed myself to praying these three prayers every morning. The first one is this. It's a confession. Lord, I'm a man in desperate need of help this morning. Second prayer is, Lord, in your grace, won't you please send your helpers my way? Third prayer, and Lord, won't you please give me the humility to receive the help when it comes? The 
mirror of the Word of God says, you can't understand the difficulty of relationships without looking at yourself. You can't understand the chaos and disappointment and danger of relationships without owning what sin does to all of us. Augustine says it curves us in on ourselves. And you can't get excited about relationships without being deeply appreciative for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in that cross is personal freedom. And in personal freedom is the hope of reconciliation and understanding and love and unity and peace in the very places where those things have not ruled. My biggest problem, my most lasting problem, my most abiding problem in my relationships is me. And praise God, for this I have the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't don't say that with desperation. I don't confess that need with hopelessness. I don't beat myself about because I'm my biggest problem. I run to the cross of Jesus Christ for there is life and hope and liberation and freedom and the deepest and fullest of joyful relationships to be found at the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ because there I get free from me. Praise him. Scary diagnostic, but glorious cure. You will only get excited about the cure if you receive the diagnosis. And you'll only be able to receive the diagnosis if you keep the cure in mind. You need both. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the power of this little vignette in this letter of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the way that it is to us a mirror. And thank you for the honesty of this passage and the hope. Oh, Lord, help us to embrace both. And because we embrace embrace both, become in a remarkable way a community of love. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding was provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and available at itunes.covenant.edu.